It's such a beautiful day, my goodness. Happy Father's Day to all of you. Last night at my dinner table, my eldest said to me, Dad, guess what tomorrow is? And then she said, I would just like to remind you that were it not for my existence, you would not even be a father. So she said, I'm expecting a gift tomorrow. And I said, how'd that get turned around on me like that? Kids, they do it. Hey, pull out your Bible, would you? Open to the book of 1 John. We're back into this amazing study we've been in. And while you're turning, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Ushers are coming. We want you to have the written word in front of you. So just raise your hand and you'll get a Bible. But there's two things I want to do before we get in the word. I want to um, share prayer requests with you. And then I want to give you kind of the lay of the land in our church over the next couple of weeks. I'll do the prayer request first. Please pray for a team of folks from our church who fly out of here on Tuesday morning early. Uh, It's nine adult leaders and 25 high school students flying to South Korea because we're a church of great faith. So we're taking high school kids international traveling. So pray for us. And this is an amazing opportunity, all right? We're, We're going to serve in a community with Holt International. It's called Ilsan. We've talked about this. It's a community of folks who have disabilities of some kind, and so they were not adopted out. So they were they were orphaned, and now they live in this community, and our high school students get a chance to go over there and serve and grow, and it should be an amazing trip, but please pray for us. We fly at 4 a.m. Tuesday morning, so I'll, you'll all be up at 4 a.m., right, praying for our trip. Thank you. Um, that should be great, and then when I get back, I'll share some updates from that time. Here's the lay of the land, okay? Today and next Sunday are the last two sermons in 1 John. We've come to chapter 5 today, hard to believe, but next Sunday we land the plane. When you come back next Sunday, it'll be our last sermon in 1 John. It will also be the day before VBS, and that means this, I just want to prepare you, yes, this sanctuary is going to look a little different, okay? If you've been around our church, they sort of start to decorate it, and I never know what it's going to be in here, but it's usually elaborate, so just preparing you for that. When you come in and you'll get a chance to pray for VBS, then we'll finish 1 John. The following Sunday, July 1, is a standalone, and then on July 8th, when you come back, we're going to launch a new series in our church for the summer, and that series is going to be in a book in the Bible in the Old Testament and I'll tell you the name of that book when you come back on July 8th okay yeah that's see what I did right there that was good so but I'll tell you this it's it's in the wisdom literature all right so come back July 8th we're really excited about this it's going to be a rich study this summer but today we're back in first John will you open your Bible to chapter five, we've come to the final chapter of this amazing book. I don't know about you, but right about this moment in the service, as we're opening our Bibles, I feel always a sense of the gravity of what we're doing because it's God's word that we're opening, amen? God has a word for us. He's got a word for me. He's got a word for you. Let's prepare our hearts. First John chapter five. Here's what you need to know today. The biblical word overcome means to walk off the battlefield as the victor. It means to be victorious. The word overcome means 
that you're the winner. It's an amazing word. And in the Bible, the biblical writers, and especially John, they use this word all of the time to describe God's people, the church. It is the people of God who are overcomers. What would the Bible mean by that? That's our theme this morning. That word in the Greek is the, it's, it's the Greek word nikao, and the root of that word is a name. It's the name of the Greek goddess for victory, but also the root of that word is the name of one of the most famous and uh, profitable athletic companies in the world. I wonder if you know what that company is. Adidas. No, it's not. It's Nike, right? Don't say Under Armour. It's Nike. Okay, that's the, this is this word. Nike. It's actually in the Greek. It's Nike. And it means victory. Nike, the swoosh, is like the ultimate symbol of the winner. And in our world, we we love being the winner, right? We're addicted. I mean, if there's a culture that's addicted to winning, it's our culture. Nike's sort of the symbol of that. But we, 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 we worship at the altar of winning in our culture. But in a minute, I'm going to show you the Bible's after something different when it talks about winning. But in our culture, when we talk about winning, we often mean there's, there's, a, there's a winner and a loser, and we've built an entire industry around winning, like multi-billion dollar industries of sport are built around that feeling of winning. And I only have to think of the World Cup to prove that to you. The World Cup happening right now, right? 32 nations. It's happening in Russia. I'm a huge soccer fan. Um, I love the World Cup. I tune in, and so do about 3.4 million other people. It's the most watched event. It's the most profitable event on the planet, all right? They say that Russia will make $26 billion in revenue from the World Cup. They spent $11 billion on infrastructure. There's the stadium that they built for a small little price of $2 billion. Can you believe that? $2 billion. $2 billion. FIFA will make $6 billion. Tons of money going to this craving that we have to win. And the fans are crazed because it's their country. And that feeling of jubilation, it's kind of bizarre, actually. These are total strangers. You don't know any of them, and yet you align with them when they win, right? And that's our culture. But when the Bible talks about overcomers, it's talking about something different. The Bible is not saying that there's one human winner and one human loser. The Bible is talking about overcoming in a very different sense. And the Bible wants to encourage you today with, with that sense. Will you look at it with me? First John chapter 5. Our text today starts in verse 4, and it stretches to verse 8, but I'm going to read four, to, 4 and 5 to get us started here. Here's how John says it. For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Now you saw it there, the repetition. 
Who is it that overcomes? And the victor is the one who overcomes. Overcomes, just John's repeating this theme over and over. He's come to the end of his letter. It's chapter five. And John's a pastor. And so as he gets ready to land the plane on his letter, he wants to encourage the church. He wants to fill their hearts with assurance and hope. And so as chapter five opens and you read it, you get this sense of encouragement. And it is encouraging. Yes, the people of God will overcome. But not only do you hear encouragement, there's also within that encouragement, did you notice there's a warning? Because John wouldn't need to encourage the church if there wasn't a threat. And so he says, be encouraged. But also I want to warn you, there is a, a, a threat out there. And this is how it is with John. Every, every text we come to, there's encouragement and there's warning. And often those things are held together tightly. John says, I want you to be encouraged, but I also want to warn you. Now, the encouragement is wonderful. I can summarize it like this. John wants to say, the world will never be able to undo what God has done in your heart through new birth. No matter how dark things get in this world, River West, brother and sister, let me tell you something. This is a word for you. No matter how dark it gets out there, the world will never be able to overcome or undo what God has done in your heart. Amen? Thank you. Talk back to me today. I love it. Will you look at verse 4? This is what he says. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. A person says, how many of those who are born of God overcome the world? And you know what John says? Every single one of them. There will not be a single person who has been born again of God who will be defeated by the world. Not one. Because God would never pour out the resources of his spirit and his grace and his love into your heart to transform you, to turn you into a child of God, only to lose you to the world. God would never do that. So be assured, no matter how dark things get, and it's dark out there, the world cannot defeat you. The world cannot undo what God has done. God is going to win. He has a hold of your life. Be encouraged, John says. Be assured. But also, John says, be warned. I want to encourage you, but I also want to warn you. And the warning is this, and I think you already know, what John's going to say. It's so simple. John says, don't ever, ever lose sight of the fact that we are in a battle. We're in a battle. He says, be encouraged. The world will not undo what God has done, but don't be naive, church. We are in a battle. The very idea of overcoming implies that we're in a battle and we are in a battle. There is a battle going on in our world, even when you can't see it. That battle is happening at a level that sometimes we're not even aware of. It's a spiritual battle. And sometimes you're not even aware that it's going on, but do not be deceived. Oh, it's happening. There is an enemy. The lines are drawn. And the enemy wants to conquer people. John says, don't ever lose sight of the battle. You see, I didn't choose to go to war. John says, it doesn't matter. War has come to you. 
You are in a spiritual battle. In one of the great commentaries on the Bible of all time, the Lord of the Rings, the Twin Towers, there's this scene where the king of Rowan, okay, I'm going to geek out right now. Get ready for it. All right. Theoden king, he's being encouraged by Gandalf and Aragorn to ride out and face Saruman. All right. And he says, I will not risk open war. And Aragorn says to you, Theoden, open war is upon you, whether you would risk it or not. River West, open war is upon us. We're in a battle. Now I have questions about this passage. My guess is you do too. You're thinking, well, we've got to break this down a little bit. So I hope you have questions. Here's my first question. What does John mean by the word world? Did you notice, look at the two verses we just read. Every time John speaks of overcoming, it is the world that we're supposed to overcome. And if this is John's emphasis, it seems like it would be wise for us to slow down and ask the question, what does John mean by world? What is he talking about here? So I'm going to take you to a couple places in his letter because he talks about the world a lot. Will you keep your finger in chapter 5 and go back to chapter 2, verses 15 to 17? You remember this earlier on in our series. Pastor Christopher preached out of this text. But John talks about the world and he says, do not love the world. Verse 15, chapter 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. It's very pitted, right? Pitted against each other. And the world is passing away. It's temporary along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So this is what John's doing when John says, when I'm talking about the world, what I'm talking about is I'm talking about desires and passions and value systems, and they're very temporary, and they're against the heart of God and the passions of God and the desires of God. But notice that when John talks about the world, he's not talking about people. This is so critical. River West, the enemy is never other people. God loves people. Amen? The enemy is a system of values and desires that often deceives people, but make no mistake, the battle that you are pitted against is a battle of desires. And it wants to take you out. Okay, so now turn to chapter Four, one more little verse that we need to look at. Chapter 4, verse 1. This is where John warns the church against false teachers. And he talks about the world. And he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have what? They've gone out into the world. Here's what John's doing. He's saying... There are these spiritual forces that are encouraging spiritual ideas 
and even truth claims and ideologies and philosophies and worldviews. And those, many of those worldviews are against God. And the people who promote those worldviews will always eventually demonstrate that they are not a part of the church. They've gone out into the world and they are pitted against the heart of God. And so John says, the battle that you are in is against a system of thought that's competing with ultimate reality, which is God and his world, and his truth. And John says, do not be deceived. Even when you can't see it, it's happening. You're in a battle in this world, and God wants you to be an overcomer, and you will be, because you've been born again. So that's my first question. What does John mean by the word world? My second question is, why does the world need to be overcome? And this one is easy The reason why we have to overcome is because the world is not neutral and the world is not going to settle for a tie. Okay? The world is not going to settle for a tie. That system that's out there has one agenda and that agenda is to wipe you out, to wipe out your faith. John said in 1 John 3 verse 13, I'll just put this on the screen. He said, do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. It's not neutral. The world's not neutral. The world's not making space for you and your faith. The world is saying, I want to crush your faith. We're in a battle. The analogy that I thought of this week as I was studying, I thought of um, following Christ in this world is kind of like trying to swim when someone's holding on to your leg and trying to pull you down. Have you ever been in a situation where you're swimming and someone is struggling to get back to the, the dock or the boat and they grab a hold of you and it's really scary. Do you know that feeling? Some of you are like, <gasps> okay, yeah, that feeling, it's horrible, right? That's kind of like what it's like to be in this world. There's always this downward pull, like this tug on you and you can feel it. You're following God. You're seeking after God. And it always feels like there's something trying to pull you down. John says, yeah, I'm not trying to freak you out. I'm just trying to tell you, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. The world's not neutral. When you turn on the TV, it's not neutral. When you walk into a college classroom, it's not neutral. You know, when your phone rings in church, it's not neutral. All right. It's not neutral. It's not unbiased. The world is after the Christian faith uniquely. John says, be aware. Okay. Finally, my third question, how do we do this? How do we overcome? Okay, John, I'm totally freaked out. So now tell me what to do. How do we overcome as a church? Well, that's what John says here in verse four in part B and five. Will you look at it with me again? Chapter five. He says, And this is the victory. It's the word Nike, but it's actually pronounced Nike. Phil Knight, get it straight, okay? But it's Nike. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. It's our faith. I love this. John includes himself. He says, even apostles, we need faith. We're dependent on faith. Every believer, it's your faith that's the victory. But then John goes on, verse 5, who is it that overcomes the world? It's like a rhetorical question. He's going to answer it. He says, who is it that overcomes the world? 
except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. John says, who overcomes the world? And you know what his answer is? No one without Jesus. Brothers and sisters, if you don't have Jesus, you are never going to overcome the world. I have to say this. If you do not have Jesus, the world is going to drag you under. It will. It will. And I love what John does here because he says, remember back in verse four when I was talking about faith and I said faith is the victory? John says, I'm not just talking about faith as this abstract concept, faith disconnected from anything. I'm talking about a very specific kind of faith. It is a faith that is directed towards a person and that person is Jesus Christ. And if you do not have faith in Jesus, you will not overcome. Brothers and sisters, your faith is like glue that connects you to Christ and his victory. Every time you come to church and you worship and you cry out to Christ and you put your hope in him, that's like a glue that God uses to tap you into the power of Jesus in your life. That's why you leave encouraged. That's why you leave with a sense of assurance. God has a hold of my life because God has plugged you back in with greater courage into the person of Jesus Christ who is your victory. The most amazing thing that Jesus said to his disciples, he said on the night before he went to the cross, I think many of you have been thinking about this phrase as we've been talking about overcoming the world. We turn to John chapter 16 with me and let me show you why we believe in Jesus. It's the upper room discourse. Jesus knows he's about to be tortured and crucified. He knows his disciples will be scattered. He knows it's going to get pretty gnarly for them. They're going to be unsettled. And so he, he says some things to encourage them. Here's what he says, John 16, verse 32. He says, behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulations, but take heart. I've overcome the world. I mean, what a great verse, right? Every Christian loves that verse. Jesus says, in this world, you will have tribulations. And Christians say, amen. <laughs> amen. But isn't it interesting? Jesus says, but, but take heart, I've overcome. Jesus says, don't mistake tribulation with defeat. Tribulation does not mean you're going down. In fact, I guarantee you, you will have tribulation. If you try to follow Christ in this world, you are going to experience trials. But take heart, Jesus says. I've overcome the world. I love that. Jesus is saying, I am the overcomer. And the reason that you overcome is not because of you or your faith. It's because your faith has tapped into my victory. When I walked out of a tomb having 
taken the penalty of sin and death and I rose again in power, Jesus says, I had victory over this world and I share that victory now with anyone who would put their hope in me. Isn't the gospel beautiful, River West? You know, we're never gonna make it in this world without Jesus. So can I pause for a minute and talk to anyone who's keeping Jesus at bay? Just for a minute. Because I would not be a loving pastor if I didn't take a moment to talk to your heart and tell you that if you don't have Jesus, the world is going to defeat you. Today is your day. God loves you so much. You're not here by accident. He invited you into this place to share with you his victory so that you would put your hope in Christ and walk out of here an overcomer. And I pray that you will. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray about that at the end of our service. On Tuesday, we're going to fly to Korea. And I want you to pray for us. And here's why I want you to pray. Last year, every kid who came home from Korea came home with the same observation. And the observation was this. The residents at Ilsan, I'm going to put up a picture of one of them here. Let's just put up one. The residents of Ilsan learned very little from us, but we learned amazing things from the residents of Ilsan. We learned that we're actually the ones with disability because we think that we don't need things. We assume that because we don't have physical disabilities, we can overcome this world through our intelligence or being well-read or through our resources. But what we learn from the residents of Ilsan who have Jesus is that they are the true overcomers. <laughs> They're the winners in this world because they've put their hope in Christ. What a powerful lesson. We all need to learn it. Amen, River West. If you put your hope in your wisdom or your acumen or your resources and you don't include Jesus, the world will take you out. So flee to Jesus today and pray for our Korea trip too while you're at it. Okay. Let's read a few more verses together. We go back to 1 John chapter 5 and John has just a couple more things to say and then we're going to take communion together. I'm looking at verses six to eight. Here's what John is going to do now. He's going to make a critical clarification. And it's absolutely essential that we get this. John's going to say, okay, that faith that I'm talking about, it's a faith in a very specific Christ. The Christ of scripture. The Christ of history. If you put your faith in a Christ of your own creation, that Christ does not have the power to give you victory. So if you make up a Jesus that you want and you put your faith in that Jesus, there's no power. You need to put your faith in the Jesus who has been revealed by the Holy Spirit and through God's word, the Christ who came in history and died and rose again for human sin. Here's how John says it, verse six. 
This is he, that is, this is the Christ. The one I'm talking about, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. Okay, it's super easy and clear, right? No, that's very complicated. In fact, uh, every commentator says this is the weirdest, hardest verse in 1 John to interpret. But what we, everyone knows that what's happening here is John is back to a disagreement that he was having with the false teachers. And the disagreement had to do with these two elements, water and blood. Did you see it? So John says, we agree that Jesus came by the water, but where you have departed is you no longer saying that Jesus came by the blood. And that's critical. If you don't understand the blood, there's no victory. Now, Scholars have, deba- have debated what this meant. Some people proposed it was talking about the blood and water that came out of Jesus' side. Some have proposed that it, he's referring to baptism and communion, the two ordinances. Those all have problems. Here's, I think, the best interpretation in what's going on. The water here, when, when, Jesus, when John says, Jesus came by water and by the blood, what, Jesus, what John's doing is he's saying, the Christ that I'm talking about is a Christ who was baptized at the beginning of his earthly ministry and received the power of the Holy Spirit and he lived a perfect life in the Spirit. And it was that same Jesus filled with the Spirit who went to a cross and his blood was shed for human sin. And you have to have both of those together. This has been John's argument throughout the whole letter. The false teachers apparently had said, we're okay with the Jesus who received the Holy Spirit, but we're rejecting a Jesus who died for human sin. There's no need for blood. John says, if you take that away, there's no power. So one false teaching said that um, Jesus of Nazareth was just a man and when he was baptized, the Holy Spirit fell on him and he was the Christ temporarily, but then the Spirit left him when he went to the cross. That was one false teaching and it was probably one of the ones they were dealing with. But the point, John's point is, it doesn't matter. There's going to be another false teaching tomorrow and the next day and the next day. The point is, you've got to get, you have to master the identity of Christ. Okay? River West, the the people who John was fighting against, they're dead and gone. They're dead and gone. But you know what? You know who came in after them? More false teachers. And then they died. And you know who came in after them? More false teachers. And so it is all the way throughout history. And you know what? Tomorrow when we wake up, someone will present a bad idea about Jesus. And it'll happen the next day and the next day and the next day. And there's a pick-me-up, right, on Sunday morning. Feel good about yourselves. Okay? There will be no end to bad ideas about Jesus. And this is why you have to spend the rest of your life mastering the identity of Jesus as he's presented in the scriptures. Amen? This is, this is what you're called to do as a part of the church, filled with the Holy Spirit. Did you see that? John said, you have the Holy Spirit. He's the spirit of truth and he's testifying to your heart. But he's testifying to your heart about the identity of Christ, but he's testifying about a Christ who 
came in real human history by the water and by the blood. The Spirit never testifies to a Christ that's not already been revealed in Scripture. He always agrees. That's what John says when he says the the blood and the water and the Spirit agree. John is just saying the Spirit never says anything to your heart that he has not already revealed in his word. This is so good, so important. I've heard people say, I know the Bible says this one thing, but the Spirit told me this other thing that's not in the Bible. And you know what I say to that? That was not the Holy Spirit. That was not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit never tells you anything that disagrees with with what is revealed in God's word. And so it is with Jesus. He talks to your heart. He reminds you about the truth of Christ. And you know when he does it? He does it in this moment when we come to the table. And you get the bread and the cup. And you're holding it. And you know what's happening in that moment? You're, You're being reminded of the objective truth of the historical Christ who came by water and blood. He took away human sin and he rose again in power. And every time we take communion, at the same time, the Holy Spirit is speaking to our hearts and saying, not only is this true, it's beautiful and I need this. I need to put my faith in Jesus again today with even greater confidence. And it's the Spirit then who begins to flood your heart with assurance as you walk out, reminding you, you're an overcomer in this world because of Jesus. How I pray that will happen today in our church as we go to the table. I'm gonna pray about that right now. Will you bow your heads with me? And let's thank the Lord. Father, we're so encouraged by your word today. There's so much truth in these verses. So much we need to hear. God, thank you for the reminder that we're living in a world where there's a battle going on. And it is life and death. And the world is not neutral, and the world wants to take us out, Father. So we pray for that encouraging reminder. May we be wise and discerning, but... May we be believers who have put our hope fully and completely in Christ. Thank you, Lord. I'm so thankful for a room full of brothers and sisters, and I'm also thankful for those who've come today who are pondering and maybe struggling with Christ. Perhaps even you've come in today and you've been resisting Jesus and you know that This is my day. God is speaking to me. And if that's you, how I want to encourage you, just open your heart to the Lord this morning. Thank him for Jesus. Thank him for the gospel. Thank him for what you've heard and believed. Put your hope in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Pray to God and then come to the table knowing you have become a Christian. And so we thank you for that, Lord. We do put our faith in Jesus today. He is our victory. Thank you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.